Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. This is episode 63 and another one of our Talking Shop episodes. And like these short episodes, we should jump straight into it so we don't run out of time. Sarah, what's your tool of the month this month? My tool of the month this month is Eats, Shoots and Leaves by Lynn Truss. So this month I've been reading another grammar book and this one has been fascinating so far. It's not your classic grammar book of how to and how not to though it does involve plenty of tips within it as well. So, you know, you do get a little bit of that coming through. It has a lot of the history of grammar and why grammar is important and how it came about. So you might have noticed that the title is Eats, Shoots and Leaves with a comma after eats, (laughs) Um, which shows just how one comma can dramatically change the meaning of a sentence. So without the comma, you could be talking about pandas who eats, shoots, and leaves. But with the comma, you could be referring to some sort of cowboy in a saloon. Is kind of how I imagined it. He eats, shoots, and leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Though, to be fair, personally, I'm a fan of the Oxford comma. And so I probably would have added two commas to that sentence in the case of the cowboy in the saloon scenario which would become you know eats shoots with a comma and leaves but you know this this is the fun of grammar it's all just (laughs) semantics really (laughs) so the book itself I found the introduction slightly lengthy but once I got into the actual meat of the book I have been enjoying it so far so Lynn Truss brings up some hilarious points about the misuse of grammar And it's a fairly short book with only six chapters. So the chapters are number one, the tractable apostrophe. Number two, that'll do, comma. Three, ears and graces. Four, cutting a dash. Five, a little used punctuation mark. And six, merely conventional signs. So, you know, they're not, it's not a super long book, although... My only clout with it is her apparent fondness for semicolons, which she oh, discusses no. in chapter three in <laughs> Ears and Graces. I have to mention, you know, she is a British author. And so some of the things is like more the tr- traditional British style of writing. And I do find British writers use semicolons more often. And I think part of the reason for this is because that British writers don't use M dashes as often. Like when they do use dashes, they'll use like the, uh, like a hyphen with like a space on either side of it. You might've seen it. It's less likely to use like a long M dash, like joining things together. So she argues how necessary semicolons are. And I, you know, I think they have their place Certainly when it comes to using for lists in particular, I you know, the M dash 
can't really do lists in the same way that a semicolon can. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same point, most of the other uses, I feel the M dash functions in a very similar manner. And to me, looks a bit cleaner, more elegant. It interrupts the text less intrusively, I feel, because you don't get that, you know, brazen half colon, half comma, like (laughs) sticking out at you. (laughs) So I tend to prefer that more. And she, she gave this list of why people don't like semicolons and she was going to argue why we should like them and argue the points of the list except the only problem was I have I agreed with just about every single point that like other people who don't like semicolons came up with so I was like I'm not really looking forward to reading this part about (laughs) where you're trying where you're going to try and convince me that what I feel about this is wrong but Aside from that, <laughs> it's been pretty good. Particularly the chapter on commas has been very interesting. So she compared commas to an eager sheepdog, which I thought was probably an adequate metaphor. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I have a, a short quote to share with you. As we shall shortly see the comma has so many jobs as a separator brackets punctuation marks traditionally either separators or terminators brackets close um, that it tears about on the hillside of language endlessly organizing words into sensible groups and making them stay put sorting and dividing circling and herding and of course darting off with a peremptory woof to round up any wayward subordinate clause that makes a futile bolt for semantic freedom. (laughs) Commas, if you don't whistle at them to calm down, are unstoppably enthusiastic at this job. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It's like how many commas end up in your stuff and you're like, hang on a minute, I think we've gone overboard here. (laughs) Over-eager commas. Yep. But yeah, she also explained why they are so troublesome sometimes. She said, no wonder feelings run high about the comma. When it comes to improving clarity of a sentence, you can nearly always argue that one should go in. You can nearly always argue that one should come out. (laughs) (laughs) It's just very true. true. Very true. We always have that argument in our critique group as well. We're like, should we put a comment? Oh no, you should take it out. Oh no, you should put it. Maybe it should just be two sentences. It's usually how it ends up going. <laughs> Something interesting that I noted in particular to the way that we do things is that like often when I'm editing, I think Ashley's comma style is slightly different from mine, <laughs> where I'll tend to use less, I think, um, especially, excuse me, after conjunctions, because you know, you have the comma before a conjunction, which is like it, she calls it a joining comma. But then you can also have it after the conjunction. And then one, like as a, when you use a paired comma, which is, so you've got like a section of text in between two commas and you can like remove that section of text. So, you know, it's the same thing that an M dash sometimes functions for, but it's a bit less intrusive when you use it with a comma. 
So you have like sometimes the functions of the comma in the sentence, you can choose between a joining comma or a paired comma. <laughs> she was saying, you know, like there's two different functions and you can, both are correct and you can use both. And I feel like sometimes when, you know, when you end up with like a conjunction word, like and or but that's in the middle of two commas. So it'll be like, and da, 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 da. That's when someone's used both functions of the comma. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I was like, that's that's why that happens sometimes because I never used to like use it after conjunctions as much. Right. And the other thing that's interesting is that when you start a sentence in the middle of a sentence, for example, like, you know, you should never really start with a conjunction. However, modern speech dictates that, you know, we do this quite often where it'll be like someone... Like it might be in speech or it might be a thought that the character's thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Where it'll be like, and da-da-da-da-da, or but, da-da-da-da-da. And when you do it that way, it means that you have to imagine it as if the part that you haven't said that's prior to the conjunction, the part that you skipped because it's unnecessary and it's like fluff, (laughs) was there. So that's why, like, okay. sometimes you end up with the comma after an and. Right, right, I see. If that makes any sense. It's very hard to describe, like, without showing ex- examples and things. But it makes a lot of sense. And so I learned a lot about, particularly in the chapter about commas, because, <laughs> the, you know, there's no real rules of using commas. It's, yeah, I mean, There is, but they're kind of loose and... It's hard to work out which way is the best way because sometimes several things apply to the one sentence and mm-hmm. you're like, um, I don't know whether I should put it here or there or not at all. And so I thought it was just very interesting to see these rules clearer. <laughs> yeah, that sounds helpful. Yes. I haven't gotten all the way through this book yet, but as I said, you know, I've learned a lot of new things, which for me being a grammar enthusiast is quite something because <laughs> I feel like I do have a very good handle in general on grammar these, these days. So learning something new about grammar is exciting because I'm like, hey, this can make things even easier at those times where I get, you know, where I have a few questions and I'm like, this doesn't quite look right. So I really enjoyed that part of it. However, you know, my opinion may change when I get to the chapter on <laughs> cutting a dash if she doesn't mention or if she dislikes my favorite M dash. I love M dashes so, too. So. We'll see. Strong affinity towards them. I love Me too. them. Me too. They just look so nice. <laughs> they do. It kind of just breaks up the um Yeah. And it's like yeah. more dramatic sometimes as well. You know? Mm-hmm. Just like bam, M dash. <laughs> Anyway, but so that was Eats, Shoots, and Leaves by Lynn Truss. So if you're interested in that book, you can check it out. Sounds like a good read. 
How about you, Ashley? What was your tool of the month? So my tool of the month this month is a book called Writing for Emotional Impact, Advanced Dramatic Techniques to Attract, Engage and Fascinate the Reader from Beginning to End by Carl Iglesias. It's actually technically a screenwriting book, but a lot of the tips um, and advice apply to writing fiction as well, I think. So it's more of a writing book from what I can gather anyways, because I got quite a lot from this, uh, well, from what I've read of it so far. The introduction to this book was not as long as the introduction to your book. It was only like (laughs) three pages, but it was sort of explaining why he wrote the book. And the the author's uh, like a manuscript assessor. And he says that there are three types of reactions that he has when he reads a script for the first time. It's either boredom, interest, or wow. Yeah. And... Obviously, you want the reader to say, wow. And he basically has decided that when he gets the wow reaction, it's because he has an emotional experience when he reads the work. And that's really the whole reason people want to read it in the first place. So his focus for writing this book is to try and help you create, basically make your work more emotionally impactful for the readers and have that kind of as your focus for everything that you're attempting to do. I thought I'd overview two of the chapters that I found super, super helpful, but all of them, I've read six or seven of them now, have been very, like, really interesting and just really interesting, like tidbits of information and different ways of looking at things that I haven't had from previous uh, writing books before. So chapter two was called The Reader, Your Only Audience. And I thought I'd go through a few takeaways I got from this. So the author basically says that great stories can't be developed without thinking about your reader in the first instance, unless you're writing only for yourself. But so successful writers have a strong sense that they're communicating with someone and that they always have this in mind when they're writing, writing their work. And so I thought that was a good point just to always keep that in mind, because it can be quite easy to get a little bit caught up in sort of like your reactions to things and forget that you really are writing for unless you're only writing for yourself other people are going to read this so you need to keep them in mind yeah however the most helpful part about this was talking about the reader as the gatekeepers in the publishing industry so always to keep them in mind when you're sending them their script and I found this part really helpful basically (laughs) He had a few points to talk about, about why you should always think about the gatekeeper. So these are the first people who read your manuscript and then make a decision on whether it basically gets sent further up the chain or not. Firstly, he's like, they do know what they're talking about, like actually know what they're talking about because they're being hired by massive firms who are relying on them to weed out scripts to make the money. So they wouldn't be there if they were terrible. (laughs) Because, you know, a lot of money is riding on them picking the right scripts and, you know, the diamond and the rough scripts, that kind of thing. The second is because they're relied upon so much, they read a lot and they're really in touch with current pop culture trends as well. So I guess it's kind of easy to imagine like it's this like old man, like sitting in an office somewhere who just like hates everything. But this guy's trying to remind everyone that, you know, they, they read a lot because a lot actually hinges on them being really good at weeding the scripts out. And then he's like, they're also poorly paid, overworked and frustrated and they have no time for substandard material. And they actually want to discover 
the next like for because this is script writing the next box office smash hit because it's good for them so they're not just like purposefully you know trying to take scripts out just because they don't like them or whatever they want to find good scripts so they do read them and the final point which I thought was quite interesting is he's like although the business is very subjective they are trained to be objective and and provide an informed decision because these higher up people are relying on them to provide them with examples of the best scripts that they can find so I thought that was really interesting kind of keeping those things in mind because I think it's easy to be a bit like oh you know they don't like it but you know they're people and do have a very important job to do so I thought that was quite interesting he then went on in this chapter to talk about why scripts are often rejected and I think this also applies to novels as well and he said barring called the amateur blunders like typos missing pages and writing that's just a giant cliche he said that there's basically only one reason that they reject scripts for the most part and that's if at any point they're taken out of the reading experience and I thought that was quite interesting. So he said that he'll usually reject a script if he's reading and then is something along the lines of, oh, this can't be right. Or, oh, this seems unrealistic. I don't think this would happen. And if he has like a thought like that while reading the script, he's like, it's taken me out of the experience. And that's what I'm more likely to reject it. So mm-hmm. I found that quite helpful. So yeah, that was that was chapter two. And that was about the reader. And yeah, just good. Uh, I guess a good perspective from uh, the other side (laughs) (laughs) script writers yeah and I think it's very similar to novels as well because they're focusing on the same thing like they want the New York next New York Times bestseller um, at these publishing houses so even though they're not (laughs) you know the top person reading your book like you know the company does rely on them to pick out good manuscripts though I was tempted to, (laughs) to input there I was like well I don't know that they do a great job of that, at least at the moment, because <laughs> the movies that have been coming up. It's oh my like... gosh. Terrible. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, they've been so bad. It almost feels like it's because they keep like redoing stuff. It's like the same story, but they just add like <laughs> same stories, but bigger explosions is basically what it is. You're like, I've seen this story before, but this one, like five buildings explode in like the first minute and it like distracts you from the fact that it's like the same as everything else you've seen. Anyway, sorry, brought us off on a okay. tangent there. Continue. <laughs> um, so the next one I thought I would just mention was chapter five, which was about character and captivating empathy. So here's some tips about how to create character or how he likes to create characters which I'll just kind of go through it he has five points and I thought it was quite interesting so the first is the who is the character and to typify them like hero average joe blah 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 give them their traits and their values and he points out that the values is a common trait he finds missing in a lot of amateur scripts like they'll have the you know, the character typecast, they'll have their traits, they'll have their flaws, but they'll be missing the core values of the character, which I thought was quite interesting. Just the fact that that, you know, it can be obvious when it's missing. Yeah. The second thing he always does is, you know, what do the characters want? So the desires and the goals and emphasizing that no goal equals no story. <laughs> this you know, is very true. That's a good point. Very good point. Um, and then why do they want it? So needs... Um, and motivations 
and that the motivations need to be compelling and need to be worthy of empathy. So he said, like, this is the first point where you need to make sure you've like nailed it down. Um, if you're wanting your reader to have like an emotional connection to the character and the story. Four is what happens if he fails. So what are the stakes? And this is, he says, another point where often amateur scripts kind of are let down because they lose sight of what the stakes are, which then loses your reader along the way. So yeah. I thought that was good because I was like, I feel like we've kind of done that a little bit in our ancient Greece where you've kind of strayed a little bit and you need to bring it back again. Yes. Um, it's easy to do because it's so easy to get carried away. Yes. Especially if yeah. you have a extended long plotline. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the final point is just thinking about how your character changes. So the character arc. So he says these are the five things that he usually focuses on when developing a character rather than like comprehensive character sheets. It's sort of like these five things. And I thought it was quite a good way to think about it. Yeah. Um, and then he moved on to what I actually thought was, it was like this one sentence that was buried in there, but it was probably one of the most, you know, they talk about show, don't tell, but they never really tell you how to show, not tell. Yes. Yeah. So he said, your job as a writer is to create events so the reader can experience the character's actions and dialogue, i.e. showing rather than telling. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the first time I feel like I've seen an actual thing that has told me like a very specific example of showing, not telling. So I thought that was very useful. Although I would add to it, like clearly with what the book's called kind of describes it as well you know, he's writing for emotional impact. Mm -hmm. So something that I discovered, which I didn't really realize, like when I hear the words show, not tell, it makes me think that, yes, you shouldn't be putting in words like I feel angry, like you need to show that. But you can't just like write down a list of events or um, dialogue that happens either in like merely description you need to make that description and those events have emotional impact and have the reader emotionally invested in the outcome of that. So, you know, when you're describing how someone's angry or something like, yes, you're describing their, their frown, how they're frowning or you're describing how they're crossing their arms, like that kind of thing. But you're also imbuing it with like a, a form of emotion which is harder to explain and I think that's where a lot of people get confused and I think we talked about this a little bit in our main podcast where I was talking about my experience of trying to work out what was wrong with this chapter that I was rewriting and our price of pandemonium where it was like ah, oh, I don't understand like you know I am showing I'm not telling but actually if you just list the events and what happens you're telling <laughs> you yeah. think that you're showing because you're like hey but I haven't mentioned he is angry or she is upset or whatever but if you're having it so that like this happens then that happened and then that happened you're telling the reader what happened as opposed to involving them emotionally in what happened so that's also what it means is involving your readers emotionally. 
Yes. Which is yes, really I confusing agree. to like, because you're like, but showing is like, you know, <laughs> description. <laughs> yes. Not just description, apparently. Other things. So yes. I thought that was a really great Sorry. way. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> Something was, that I've learned it was recently. Adding. That I was, um, yeah. yeah. So anyways, I thought that was a really good, but at least a good way of thinking about some of the showing, not telling, because as we've said, it is hard to, how to show people rather than tell them how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Strangely hard to get your mind around. <laughs> yeah. And then the chapter carries on to go through some techniques that you can use to, uh, to do this. So things like using contrast, um, either, you know, characters within themselves, like contrasting traits or using other characters um, or even the environment. So he's like the fish out of water technique. It's a good one for that kind of thing. Right. So then after that, um, the other main point that I just wanted to quickly touch on from the character chapter was that he thinks that there's basically three ways that readers end up connecting with your character. The first was recognition. So that was kind of like understanding and empathy. So the second was fascination. So there's something really interesting about the character that like piques your reader's interest and, you know, makes them kind of want to follow along and see what happens. And then the third is mystery. So that's like, you know, the, the strange backstory that isn't really clear and you really want to know more about it, or, you know, there's some hidden part of the character that you really want to know, uh, know about, which like keeps you into the story. So I thought that was interesting, kind of listing three ways to keep your reader hooked on your character and things to think about when you're developing your character as well. Yeah. But overall, uh, I found the book really, really interesting so far because it goes through tons of things like theme and setting, creating the compelling plot lines and all of that. It's quite long, but I've, I've been enjoying it a lot. So if you're looking for something a little bit different and it really seems to like it's kind of put things in a new light, which, you know, gives you a new perspective on some concepts that you've heard before. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so that was called Writing for Emotional Impact by Carl Iglesias. We should probably move on to what we've been reading for fun this month. So did you want to go first, Sarah? Yeah. So I have been reading The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Probably a lot of people would have heard about this book. And yes, it is another teen fiction book. That's what it is a teen fiction again. But, you know, I would highly recommend this one because it's honestly like I'm kind of going on this path of reading like a whole lot of very well-known teen fiction books and ones that have uh, like critically acclaimed. So it's just as great for adult readers as teens, honestly. And most people who kind of know about this book will know that it's centered around racism in the US and because of this you know there are certain things that are very American can hear Americans protesting that racism happens all over the world which is true however you would not get things like police shootings in New Zealand for example because New Zealand police do not routinely carry sidearms so there's certain things that I feel are more US and which make the issue of racism a little bit bigger there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's still a really important societal issue that I think is worth reading. So I'll just give you the blurb. So 16-year-old Star Carter moves between two worlds, 
the poor neighborhood where she lives and the fancy suburban prep school she attends. The uneasy balance between these worlds is shattered when Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend, Khalil, at the hands of a police officer. Khalil was unarmed. Soon afterward, his death is a national headline. Some are calling him a, a thug, maybe even a drug dealer and a gangbanger. Protesters are taking to the streets in Khalil's name. Some cops and the local drug lord try to intimidate Star and her family. What everyone wants to know is what really went down that night. And the only person alive who can answer that is Star. But what Star does or does not say could upend her community. It could also endanger her life. So that's the blurb for it. Yeah, it was a really good book. I would highly recommend. So that was The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. It's a cool title. Yeah. Very YA title as well, which is why I was like, was this a YA book? (laughs) How about you? What have you been reading? I just started a book called The Black Box by Michael Connolly, which is a murder mystery. I do love murder mysteries. And it's been pretty good so far. I'm about almost 60 pages through. And it's better than the previous murder mystery book I reviewed last time, which I never finished uh, because the murder happens <laughs> in chapter one. So I was like, yes, I don't have to read like 100 pages and have no one die yet. Cheap, thr- well, quick thrills, I guess. <laughs> but I'll just read the blurb because it hilariously is kind of, it's not really similar. Well, the premise is also, you'll see when I read the blurb, similar to yours. Um, <laughs> May 1992. When four LAPD officers are acquitted of the savage beating of Rodney King, LA is ablaze. Looting and burning take over the city. Law and order are swept away. But under the threat of their lives, homicide detectives like Harry Bosch are still stubbornly trying to do their job. So when Harry finds the body of a female journalist in an alley, he's forced to hand the case over to the riot crimes task force, knowing that it will never be solved. 20 years later, new evidence confirms her death was not a case of random violence, but something much more personal. This time, Harry is determined that the killer isn't going to escape, even if it means stepping back into the darkest days of the city he loves. So kind of similar. Yes. At least the background (laughs) premise is similar. But it's been really interesting so far. This one, they've already explained the title. At least I feel they have. And I can tell that the the item which is the black box um, is definitely going to be very key into solving the murder so I'm quite I'm intrigued to see where this book goes it's been a very quick read as well which is always good yeah I'm enjoying it so far so that was the black box by Michael Connolly sounds very good yeah I was gonna say that probably brings us to the end of this talking shop episode yeah Um, So if you would like to be on our author spotlight section, then you can go to lindersoncreations.com. And if you hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu, it will give you a drop down where you can go to to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer... It is our main podcast, and we're going to be having a chat about genre, which is going to be quite a large topic, but an interesting topic all the same. Yes. And if you'd like to know any more about us or our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or contact us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Lindersoncreations. 
And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. So happy writing, everyone.